Nation. Those are the premiers collectively responding to Ottawa's big proposal, the prime minister's big proposal to them, made this afternoon over a period of two hours on uh, new money for health care. That figure on the screen ahead of you, $196 billion. That's the total package of that, about $46.2 billion is new money. I'm Vashi Capellas. You're watching a special edition of Power Play this evening. The premiers collectively saying they are a little bit disappointed by the sum of money put on the table by the prime minister. Uh, some of them saying it's fiscally restrained, fiscally limited, uh, and, and it would be better if there were more. That pretty much sums up their position. Uh, they say that they will meet very shortly. They say within days, not weeks or months, to discuss uh, how they approach this proposal and how they will effectively counter. I want to bring in my colleague, CTV's senior political correspondent, Glenn McGregor, to go over what exactly they are responding to, because this is, as I put it, the proposal from the federal government. Right. Didn't seem like that. We're going to hear from the prime minister later. It doesn't seem like they're open to a whole lot of negotiation, but those premiers are not thrilled with no. the money here. Com compare and contrast the optimism they had coming in. Right. We heard from them this morning and also when they were arriving here in Ottawa last night. There was an upbeat mood. They thought they were going to get a good deal. That was. They didn't think, I don't think any of them really thought they were going to get the $28 billion a year annual increase they were expecting, but they were hoping for something a lot more than what the Prime Minister offered today. You break it down, the new money, it only works out to about $4.6 billion per year yeah. on average over 10 years. That's nowhere and just, just close. Just to stress that you're saying, 28 billion is what they wanted per year. Right. This is like around five, at best case. You best know? case. Yeah. Now, you can take the larger number because the government is using the $196 billion, $196.1 billion number to say that's their new investment. But that includes a little bit of accountancy trickery. That is because they are including the status quo increases to the Canada health transfer. That's the big pack of money. Ottawa sends the provinces and territories yeah. every year. They're including the built-in increases, because it's got a formula that automatically increases every year by a minimum of 3%, and the rest of it is based on the, the uh, GDP increase. So that would have gone up anyway. So to call this investment $196 billion a year, I think, is disingenuous. We've got, yeah, there you go. Just to quickly say to you, to you and everyone, can we pull that graphic back up on the screen if you don't mind? Because we had the breakdown per year, basically right. of what this means for the provinces. And again, Stark, right? Like that 28, sure. no one thought they were getting $28 billion. Like, let's be realistic right. here. That's a huge amount of money. Uh, but this is like nowhere even in the neighborhood. And you heard, I, I think the tone that you uh, reflected on there is important, right? They were gung-ho. They were very excited going into this. And much less, like it was almost Long like apathetic. faces around yeah. that table. I mean, you know, they've been offered billions of dollars in new money, and of course, they're happy to take that, and they will ultimately take that, but this is not what they're looking for. When you see those annual increases, the $4.9 billion, and uh, I think one year is around $4, $4 billion, uh, very small, and, and when you look at it sort of in the context of the federal government, all the other things, the billions of dollars the federal government spends every year, including billions of new spending, the prime minister said this was a priority for him. He identified this as a key priority. It's not getting that much money and compared to all their new initiatives they've, they've introduced. It's, it's comparatively small. I was surprised at how small the number was. I thought it was going to be a lot higher. Clearly, the premiers are also surprised. Okay, thanks a lot, Glenn. CTV senior political correspondent. I think Premier Stephenson, am I correct, is ready to join us live now. Uh, Premier, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, can hear you. I think she can hear Hi. Hi, Premier Stephenson. Good to have you with us. Thank you for making the time. Yeah, absolutely. 
Uh, I wanted to start off and ask you, I think you said the way you described it was a little bit disappointing. I know that you probably didn't anticipate $28 billion a year on the table, but, but was this far away from what you had guessed would be there? Yeah, I think, you know, today we went in with an open mind. We all did and, and just uh, wanted to see what they had and what we're putting on the table. Um, obviously, it is uh, an, an increase, and so we welcome any kind of increase to our, our health care budgets. Uh, but it was uh, significantly less, obviously, than, than we thought and, and a little disappointing, I must say. And was that conveyed to the prime minister in the room when he made the presentation? Well, I think what it was is, I think, you know, during the presentation, uh, we were uh, given the presentation and we had questions that we wanted to ask after. There wasn't really a lot of time for deliberation, but we did know that we were going away after that to have discussions as the Council of Federation, um, which we are going to do. We've had a chance to sort of uh, digest a little bit of it, but we really have to go back to our jurisdictions and see what does this really mean for us in our areas. Uh, just, just to ask you bluntly, was there a back and forth between the premiers and the prime minister, or was it just a presentation by the prime minister? Yeah, no, it was a presentation, and we did have we had questions. And uh, listen, I want to say that I, you know, I do commend the the prime minister to, uh, for finally, you know, calling a first minister's meeting. It was very important to sit around that table and have this discussion, and I think that's a very positive thing. And I hope to have many more of those uh, going forward. But I guess now is really, I mean, again, we they uh, were able to look at our um, proposal for two and a half years, but we are really, we, we saw it for two and a half hours. So, so really, you know, we need time to digest this and see what does it really mean for each of us in our jurisdictions. And I take the point that you'll need some time to digest it, but on face value, when you look at it now, how far away is it from what you hope to end up with? Well, obviously, we had asked, with, you know, for the $28 billion, again, right into the, uh, the base funding in, in year one with an escalator, and so really getting them up to the 35%. Uh, but it's significantly less than that. But again, it's a step in the right direction. It was a step in the right direction to be able to sit down and have this conversation. I think Canadians expect us to do that, so that's a positive thing. Uh, but I also think, you know, uh, Canadians want to make sure that we have long-term sustainable funding. Uh, now we'll see what, what this looks like. It is, again, I think a step in the right direction, um, but it is significantly less, I think, that, than many of us were, were thinking. So I heard you and your colleagues in the, in the press conference there saying that you're going to take it back, figure out what it means for, for people in your province, but also meet as the Council of the Federation, all, all premiers together to essentially do what? So we're going to take, take it back and just see what it means to each of us in our jurisdictions. There's, there's a number of details uh, that we weren't able to get into today, obviously, in just the two and a half hours or two hours that we had in the meeting and, uh, and since then. Uh, so I think it's really important that we take that time, we do that, and then we sit down. I'm, I'm talking just, just days from now, not, not weeks or months. Uh, we recognize that this is, is going to be in the, the federal budget. We want to ensure that we can come to some sort of a, a conclusion on this. I think Canadians want us to. We still would like to. Uh, so we'll continue to have those discussions at the Council of Federation and see what comes out of that. The Prime Minister presented it as a proposal, but as you just said yourself, this is anticipated to be booked into the federal budget. Are your hands kind of tied? Like, how much can you actually push back? Because the impression I think Canadians have is not much. 
Well, I mean, the prime minister did say that he didn't expect a deal to be made between the provinces and, and the federal government on this very important issue today. Uh, so he is expecting us to go off and to have discussions among ourselves as, as the Council of Federation. So that's exactly what we're going to do. Did he signal, though, in his proposal and his conversations with you and your colleagues today, that he was open to a counteroffer, that he was open to putting more money beyond what he spelled out in this proposal on the table? I think what he said is that he didn't expect a deal to be signed or, or a deal to be solidified today. Um, he recognizes that we need time to digest this and to take this back and, and have discussions. And so, um, you know, to me, that means he knows we're going to go away and have these discussions and we will have a response to that. Do you anticipate that the prime minister and the federal government are willing to put more money than they've offered today on the table? Well, I think that's what you'll have to ask them. Um, I think that, you know, this money, I know for Manitoba, it means about a 2%. Um, it's 2% of, of our overall budget. And so that's uh, significantly less than what we're looking for, I think, uh, across the country. Uh, so we're going to have to, again, look into what some of the details are associated with that. Uh, of course, there's uh, the Canada health transfer side of it. There's also the bilateral side of it. So we'll have to look at what's the framework around the bilateral. Um, there's lots of uh, unanswered questions. We just simply didn't have a lot of time to get into those today. So we're hoping to be able to have um, conversations either with officials or, or the Prime Minister himself moving forward to ensure um, that we do what, what really is in the best interest of Canadians. This is you know, one of the most important issues that faces uh, our country right now is health care. And uh, I think, again, a good first step to be able to sit down and have that discussion today. But still more work to be done. I just want to, you mentioned Canadians, and, and I know so many of them are watching this, anxious about their own health care systems and, and their own experiences with them. And I just want to try and get at how close a new arrangement is, because ultimately at the end of the day, uh, you know, it's, it's to arrive at better outcomes for Canadians. Are you, uh, you know, can, can you be clear about where you, and I, and, I, and I know you just received this, but based on the, again, the face value of it, are you willing to walk away if this is the best case offer? Well, I think what it is, is it's a step in the right direction. We'll sit down and have those discussions, and I will with my counterparts uh, across the country. Uh, again, we want to look into the details. What does it mean? We have other questions that we have uh, for the federal government uh, surrounding this. Um, again, the prime minister didn't expect to uh, have an agreement today. Neither did we. Um, this is the start of a, a discussion. And so we'll continue to have those discussions and move forward. You had said, though, that you thought an, a deal could be arrived at in short order, I believe. I heard you say over the past few days. Do you still think that's true? Well, again, I, we're going to take some time as a Council of Federation and sit down. I mean, sooner rather than later. I said days, not weeks ahead. Um, we want to make sure that we have those discussions around that table. Uh, we do have to come away from this today, though, and digest some of the information that we received. Look at each of our jurisdictions. What's, what does it mean? Where are the commonalities across the Council of Federation? And then look at, uh, you know, reaching out to the federal government and, you know, uh, and having those discussions. But, but surely you knew what you expected and you now know what's on the table. You, you can tell people watching if you think, you know, there, there could be somewhere to meet in the middle in short order. Like, do you still think this is possible sooner rather than later?
well, we do know that the federal budget is coming down soon. Um, they have put some, you know, some money on the table for us. That is a step in the right direction. Uh, again, we'll have, it's not as much as we had, had hoped for, obviously. Uh, but we need to sit down and what does it mean uh, in terms of, you know, strings attached or not. I mean, there's all sorts of uh, different aspects of, uh, of the discussions that need to take place and the, and the questions that need to be answered. So, again, we'll take this away. I think it's reasonable. Canadians would expect us to take this away um, and take the necessary time to, to get this right. And, uh, and then we'll okay, look at, at reaching out to the, to the federal government from there. Sorry, sorry for the interruption. I apologize. Thank you very much for making the time for us this evening. Appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks so much, Vashti. Take care. You too. Heather Stephenson is the Premier of Manitoba as well as the head of the Council of the Federation. The front bench is here after a quick break. Brian Gallant, Allison Redford, Kathleen Monk and Robert Benzie. We're back in just a moment on this special edition of Power Play. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to a special edition of Power Play. The Prime Minister has tabled his proposal to the Premiers this afternoon in Ottawa about what they can expect when it comes to a new health care funding deal. I want to share some of those details with you now. First of all, the big top line numbers, uh, $196.1 billion over 10 years. Sounds like a huge number. If you break it down, it's not quite as big. That's because about $46 billion of that is new funding. And let me show you how further how that breaks down over five years. Uh, it, it, and this is specifically uh, in contrast to what the premiers had asked for, which was collectively about a $28 billion increase in health care funding. You can see on that screen ahead of you, the first year out, you're looking at close to $5 billion, but it is less than that for the next few years, and then back up to about $5 billion after that. The money comes through a di bunch of different parcels, primarily uh, through the Canada Health Transfer and an increase to it, but also through bilateral deals with each of the provinces, which have still to be negotiated, and they include some conditions around sharing data and where exactly that money goes. So let's talk a bit about the consequences of what the feds are pitching and how it's being received by the provinces with the front bench joining me this evening, former uh, New Brunswick Premier Brian Gallant. He's now the CEO of Space Canada, former Alberta Premier Alison Redford. She's now the principal at the Redford Group. NDP strategist and Monk and Associates principal owner Kathleen Monk is here, as is the Toronto Star's Queen's Park Bureau Chief Robert Benzie. Hi, everybody. Nice to see yeah. you. Great to have you with me this evening. Uh, Brian, I'm going to start with you. The, the contrast in those numbers is kind of stark, and we could hear it through that press conference. I'm not sure how much you caught, but even Premier Stephenson a few minutes ago on this program called it a little bit disappointing. How much leverage do you think the premiers have to go back at the federal government now? Well, let's start off by just acknowledging that a lot of this is happening through the media, and clearly the Trudeau government has been doing the best it can to sort of prepare things coming into the meeting, maybe some leaks, maybe some sort of uh, expectation <laughs> Uh, markers that they put out there before the meeting. They're calling it a working meeting to make sure that it's clear that they want to engage with the premiers, but really they very much put a detailed plan out there. So that, that that's context piece number one. Context piece number two, as you mentioned, Bashi, the premiers has put a, put a stake in the ground where they were hoping to have uh, quite a bit more than what's been put on the table. But they've also, in some of their press conferences today, uh, started to soften that a bit as well. So clearly saying it's disappointing is what they have to say based on how there's a pretty big discrepancy from what they've been saying for months and what has been presented 
if they want to be able to take on what was presented or some version of what was presented today. I, I think if I'm if I'm to be fair to all parts, they they stayed uh, together over the last few months as premiers to ask for for what they uh, wanted in terms of funding. Uh, but I do think the Trudeau government coming in handled the sort of the the communications and 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 perception of things quite well today. And uh, again, presenting a pretty detailed plan, but also at the same time in parallel talking about how this meeting is a working meeting and that they're going to be figuring things out, rolling up their sleeves with the premiers. And no, no, there's there won't be a deal today. But when you look at the when you look at the detailed proposal, uh, yeah. it it looks like an agreement. Yeah, the thing is, the level of detail, Allison, is so much that yeah. if they put this timeline to get an agreement before the federal budget, like how much room for back and forth is there actually? Well, I think that everyone was very cautious today in the uh, premier's press conference, uh, and I think part of that is that they're realizing that they don't have a lot of flexibility. And one of the reasons they don't is because the agreement or the proposal is so detailed that if you start to pick one part of it apart or try to negotiate something differently, you're going to end up being told or the discussion will be that the rest of the agreement will fall apart. And so therefore, I think it's going to be very difficult for premiers to pick on a particular point that they might be concerned about. However, the bilateral agreements are an opportunity for the premiers to be able to deliver the health care services that they need in their province right now in the manner that they choose to do that. And I think that if you go back to the original principles of the Canada Health Act, which were to fund health outcomes with federal money, that if we can stay true to that principle and allow premiers to have flexibility in terms of how they deliver, as long as it's a universal health care plan, which can still allow for publicly funded private delivery, that sort of thing, which is certainly something we talk about in Alberta, uh, that you're then going to be able to see where there's some flexibility. But I think that it is a little bit of a, I, I don't want to say house of cards in a negative way, but if you pull one card out, it complicates everything. So I think you're really looking at what provinces can do in the bilateral agreements. I think Alison makes a great point, Kathleen, because the level, uh, both Brian and Alison, uh, and the level of detail that's in there, out, outside of the bilateral agreements, which have a few things in that press release, like here's what we hope you spend that money on, yeah. but really will be open to, it seems like, more fruitful maybe, potentially fruitful negotiations with the provinces. Maybe that's where they get some of their political wins. For sure. And there is there is still a big pot of money in those bilats, that $25 billion, I think it is, for, for just the bilats. So, and that's where the devil's in the details in terms of how they're going to work that out over the next uh, few uh, few days, few weeks, hours, we, we, hours like maybe. I know it, <laughs> it doesn't. It really doesn't. But what's interesting to me is just there has been such a build up to this, right? Eighteen years maybe since the last big, you know, working meeting on the Canadian healthcare transfer. But certainly you would have to the thirty six meetings that happened during COVID uh, with these premiers and the prime minister constantly calling for more substantial health funding. It was denied. The prime minister constantly balked at talking about that during the COVID crisis. And then again, last July, the premiers invited um, uh, the prime minister to join them in Vancouver to have a real conversation about the health care transfer. And then we come today and it's a bit of a, a bit of a disappointment. It's a bit of a nothing burger uh, or, or not. A, but, you know, the prime minister still has a chance to frame this himself. He's coming out in, you know, another half yes. an hour. Um, the premiers obviously have done their best throw at trying to frame it as not being enough. So it'll be interesting to hear from the prime minister, his team, he's bringing out freely 
Zealand, obviously Minister Duclos, to say how they want this to be accepted by Canadians. Yeah, and we'll carry that press conference at 5.30 Eastern live here on Power Play. Rob, you've been in the room the whole day. What is your sense of, were the premiers actually surprised by what the, what the, what the Prime Minister tabled today? I mean, I think, Vashi, they are uh, surprised and a bit disappointed, as Heather Stephenson was saying to you earlier and Premier Doug Ford was saying on the stage. But I think they see this as the beginning of a longer conversation. And the fact that they're even having this conversation is a really good sign. Uh, because remember, there were years when the Prime Minister of the day didn't necessarily meet with the premiers to discuss health funding. It was just sort of, here, here's, here's what you're getting, now run along. And I think that's, uh, that's not insignificant. I think the other thing that I was surprised about today, Vashi, was that how few strings there are attached. I mean, there, I, I was expecting more conditions on this funding. And maybe it's because there is so relatively little new funding that there, there's no point in attaching mm -hmm. conditions to it. Okay, I'm going to take a quick uh, commercial break, but Brian, Allison, Kathleen, and Rob are going to stick around. There's a lot more to discuss, a lot more reaction coming in on the Prime Minister's proposal, uh, and we'll have all of that for you. We'll also carry the Prime Minister's press conference live. As Kathleen mentioned, that's coming up at 5.30 Eastern. Back in a moment here on a special edition of Power Play. What I will say is that uh, one of the things that we did see today is that there wasn't a lot in the way of new, new, uh, new funding uh, that is uh, a part of this package that has been put together by the federal government. And so, um, you know, I think to, to say the least, I think we were a little disappointed at that. Of course, it is more money than it was yesterday. Uh, but again, I think a little disappointing in, in, the, in terms of uh, the new money that was there. So in terms of next steps, uh, we are planning to get together as a Council of Federation uh, to have further discussions on this. Uh, we do plan to get together within days, not uh, weeks or months. That is Manitoba's Premier Heather Stephenson addressing the Prime Minister's proposal tabled this afternoon to her and her provincial counterparts around uh, health care funding. Just very quickly for you, the offer is for about $46.2 billion new dollars over 10 years, which includes $25 billion for bilateral deals with each of the provinces, and then about $17 billion for what's known as the Canada Health Transfer and the amount by which it will increase over that period of time. A little disappointed is the way Premier Stephenson described it. The front bench is with me to continue digging into some of that reaction. I should also mention the Prime Minister slated to take questions from reporters at 5.30 Eastern. We'll carry that live. Rob Benzie is here. Alison Redford, Brian Gallant, and Kathleen Monk. Kathleen, I'm, I'm going to start with you and pick up where Rob left off before the break. Are you surprised at that there aren't more strings here? I, uh, Premier Legault, that was his big thing. In the, he, he was upset about the money, but not that upset, it seemed, because he was very happy he to was see happy. no strings. Yes, I can do whatever I want with my money, <laughs> was, was really his quote. Um, I, I think that it, you know, it'll come out in the next few days when we see some of these bilateral deals. So I'm, I'm going to be a bit more patient, um, maybe, than Benzie to see kind of what else kind of falls out. But there was an emphasis on health workers. That's important. We know that. Um, but yeah, what the center of excellence is for healthcare workers, we just don't know. I don't even, that just sounds like a made up kind of term. So we need to really unpack what that is. But the focus on primary health care, on family health care, really important. They're addressing some of those issues around mental health, really critical, obviously. Um, but we need to see how that's actually going to play out because we need to retain, recruit, respect our health care workers and we need to get, you know, more of them. And I'm not sure if this 
plan right now sets out how that's going to happen and going to force uh, the provinces to do so. But even when you talk in those terms, Alison, the idea of the federal government being prescriptive about how much you should pay healthcare workers or how many you should hire, like that feels like a slippery kind of a dangerous jurisdictional line. I, I can imagine a number of premiers, and you would know better than I would, would have a hard time grappling with some of that if it's too prescriptive. Yeah, I mean, I think that's true, that if you start to look at how a provincial government puts together their budget, um, those are the sort of administrative decisions that their health boards make across the province, whether they have one or two different jurisdictions. And, you know, really, that is the responsibility of provincial governments. It is jurisdictional. And we don't want to end up arguing about jurisdiction all the time when it's something that matters so much to all Canadians. I think some of the priorities that the, that the federal government has set down in terms of primary health care, mental health, uh, you know, family physicians are important. But I think then they really do need to step back and let provinces and premiers that understand their health care system deliver in a way that gives you the objectives but allows you that flexibility. I mean, in Alberta, when, when I was sitting in that chair, we did a lot of work in terms of alternative health care delivery that didn't necessarily mean that health services were delivered through doctors. Uh, that's important in terms of the kind of flexibility that I think premiers need to have right now. Uh, uh, Benzie or Rob, I guess everyone calls you Benzie, but <laughs> I'll, call, I'll call you Rob too. Uh, uh, were, were you, can, can you talk a little bit about uh, your sense from the premiers in the room there? Did they feel like things were, were too prescriptive or do they feel like this is okay right now? Uh, I know Quebec is especially obviously concerned about that. Yeah, actually, I think that they were more, um, I think, contemplative than they usually are. There wasn't any knee-jerk reaction. There was no sort of sense that anyone was going to march away. Even, you know, Danielle Smith's got an election in a few months in Alberta. I thought she, we might see more posturing from her. Uh, she was very constructive in her comments. Um, Premier Ford, of course, has worked very closely with this federal liberal government, even though he's a progressive conservative. And he was very much saying, you know, this is the beginning of a dialogue that we're going to have. And I think... It's, I think it's also a, 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 almost, I don't want to say it's the maturing of the Federation, but it, there isn't an understanding, I think, that, uh, that Ottawa understands it can't, isn't, it can't deliver frontline services. It's lousy at yeah. it. The only things that it ever does are not handled particularly well, and as the two premiers on this panel would agree. Um, and I think that the, that the premiers know that they need the money, so they, they can't be, be, be posturing and, and, and saying, we, not, we want more, we want more, and then not being able to show results. So I think that their buy-in to uh, improved outcomes, uh, improved metrics, uh, data collection, things like that, that's really significant. And even yeah. Pre Premier Legault, who can be con pretty contentious, was saying how great he thought the, uh, the escalator was. He just said it was, wish it started from a higher baseline, but that 5% a year is, is pretty good. Yeah, he liked. He said, "There's two things we're here for: a bigger, a bigger starting point, and then a bigger escalator." We got one of the two, just just not the first. Um, uh, your thoughts, Brian, on the jurisdictional creep, and if you think this proposal addresses it? Well, interestingly, I, I think that maybe Legault is trying to set up the ability to accept this and that it not be an issue for him back home. Because when you think about it, if, if the federal government is successful in getting the provinces to agree to commit to improving things like access to family health teams, addressing backlogs and surgeries and diagnostics, retaining recruitment for, for the, and, and recognizing credentials for healthcare workers, uh, mental health investments, modernizing medical records. Like if they commit to that, I mean, 
sure, there's a few different types of investments you can make, but it's pretty clear what type of investments need to need to happen. So, so to me, those are strings, and and they are based on outcomes, which I think is the right approach. I mean, one of the benefits of our country as a federation is to have different ways in which we address the same types of problems to see what works and and at the same time addressing challenges and seizing opportunities that are more proper to the local realities of provinces and territories so that's a real benefit to our federation so the idea of agreeing to outcomes and then provinces and territories going out and finding ways to to achieve those outcomes i think is fantastic so i'm certainly happy with the way in which it's structured but I, but I think at the end of the day, those are strengths. I mean, there's not much you can do to, to reduce backlogs and surgeries and diagnostics. I mean, there's maybe different types of investments, but not that much. So it, it is a very clear indication of where the federal government wants some of the money to go. And they also talk about some of the other outcomes that they want to see happen with the deals. To me, that was a little, little less clear. I'm not sure if that's sort of their posturing to say, you know, we're going to be watching you to see if you improve this or if that actually makes it into the deal. But either way, I think there are strings. They're outcome-based, which is the right approach. And look, if it gives Legault and the other premiers the ability to go back home and sell this thing and have a deal that helps improve healthcare in Canada, then I'm for it. Yeah. And Vashi, uh, can, can I... No... Yeah, go ahead, Alison. Yeah, of course. Please I was going to say, I think that that's one of the, the strengths of what's been proposed by the federal government here is that if there are those sorts of conditions or strings that, that, that as Brian said, are actually there... They're outcomes that all Canadians want to see. So it's not as if we're debating whether or not these are the right outcomes or the wrong yeah. outcomes. If you talk to Canadians across the country, these are the concerns that they have. And so even though they might be some sort of a condition, they're not so far outside the realm of possibility that I think most Canadians wouldn't say, yeah, that's exactly where we want our healthcare system to go. So there's a real place here for consensus. Yeah, I think I think that's absolutely right. I think that's the whole point of why they finally got together, Kathleen, really, if like we want to put a fine point on this circle. Yeah. I mean, people are worried. People uh, have real life concerns about their access to health care, the amount of time they have to wait for it, the situation in ERs for kids. Like yeah. the list goes on and on. And it certainly yeah. prefaced this meeting through the, the last few months, maybe even three or four months. Mm -hmm. um, and so yeah. uh, when it comes to the conditions on this, uh, like both Allison and Brian point out, it's not nothing that they said is really out of the realm of what everyone expects in this country. Exactly. And I think a long time ago, or at least several months ago, the Prime Minister and the Premiers realized that they had to stop this fighting because Canadians were united in their want for a better system, for better access, for better outcomes for their families. And so I think the battle really moves now, the communication battle, back to the Premiers where they're going to go home and have to sell this to their to their constituents to deal with their opposition across the aisles um, who will demand most likely that they accept this deal and move forward in a constructive way and get the best that they can through the bilateral process as well and get carve out deals that work for them. So lots more for us to discuss mm -hmm. in the coming weeks in short order, as some of them have said. I'm going <laughs> to leave it there. Thanks so much to our front bench panel tonight. Uh, Brian Gallant, Allison Redford, Kathleen Monk and Rob Benzie, who had to scoot away so that we could uh, bring in our next guest to the microphone. Uh, joining me now live is the Premier of New Brunswick, Blaine Higgs. Hi, Premier Higgs. Good to see you as always. Thank you for making the time. You're very welcome. Mr. Vashi. It is Vashi, yes. Uh, uh, Premier, your, yeah, your right. counterpart in Manitoba. Sure. <laughs> uh, your counterpart in Manitoba, yeah, right. Premier Stephenson, uh, told, told me a few minutes ago that she was a little disappointed by the sum of money put on the table by the federal government. Uh, would you agree with that assessment? 
Oh, yes, I, I would indeed. Uh, it wasn't what we expected, uh, for sure. It wasn't what we'd hoped for. Um, but at least we have an offer on the table, and that's more than we've had for the last two and a half years. So, so you gotta, you got to look at it as a win in that regard. So the last time we spoke, I think I interviewed you just a few weeks ago, and I had told you that uh, Minister LeBlanc, uh, you know, kind of uh, indicated that it wouldn't be $28 billion uh, per year on the table, but it, it wouldn't be a small amount. Uh, you, you had said at that point that you didn't expect $28 billion. How far off is the amount today presented from what you did expect, though? Oh, I, I would expect about $10, million, or $10 billion. I, I was expecting a fair amount more in 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 this sense um but i i guess it it is what it is um you know so we we need to regroup and think about okay is is there is there more here in this regard um maybe uh there wasn't any indication there was really a negotiation to be had other than working through the bilateral agreements and and i you know i'm i think i I'm, i am encouraged in relation to the items that are on the table there to focus those priorities we, we have no trouble with that i've said that you know many times about I believe we should be measuring outcomes, and we should understand best practices throughout our country and in what country, whatever country, because I think what this is saying to us is, okay, you're not going to get the money that you wanted. You're going to have to look at how you fund health care differently. Uh, we're going to be forced to do that. And uh, but, but one thing that we cannot do is have um, less of a service delivery. In fact, we need a higher level of service delivery to to the patients and the people in our province. Um, so, so we have to have better health care. So with the money that we have, we have to find a way to, to do more and do better. And, uh, and that'll be the goal. And, and I guess collectively, if we can learn from each other and the next steps after we decide what do we do with this, this particular offer, um, then we, uh, we focus on the, on the big picture and delivering better results. Premier, I know your time's limited, but I'm, I'm just trying to read between the lines here. I get the sense from you you don't think that the federal government is prepared to come back to the table with a lot more money. Is that accurate? Well, we didn't get any indication that that would be the case. That's, that's very true. Uh, it was pretty well here it is. And I think that's been quite traditional over the years with federal governments to, to the provinces. Here's, here's what, we're, what we're providing, and so there you go. Um, but in this case, a little different because the bilateral agreements can, can yield some kind of different views on what, what works for each province. And, and I think in our case in Atlantic Canada, there, there is an understanding that we do have an aging population. Healthcare costs are higher per individual. And, and in our bilateral agreements, I, I'd like to think that we can, we can look at that for the reality that it is and, and be able to negotiate something there that works. At the same time, that bilateral agreement, the, the proposal includes a cap, right, for how much all of them will be worth, $25 billion. You don't anticipate getting more money through the bilateral, just being able to negotiate the conditions, right, the, the specifics of it. That's correct. Yeah, that, that's correct. I, I think that in that recognition that we have some flexibility there to, to focus on what really is important for us in, in, in our respective province, and in our case, New Brunswick. Uh, what does it say to you, though, that, that the premiers aren't able to counter and, and, and effectively be able to access more money? Like, why is there such a discrepancy, do you think, between what you expected and what you ended up with? Well, you know, I, th I think, uh, you know, I guess I would point that there's always been a concern with me that, that this turns into uh, a bidding war between provinces. It turns into a situation where we're you know, we're challenging each other on wages and, and then we just we're just kind of 
not improving healthcare, but we're, we're just kind of developing a whole different, uh, well, you did this, I'll do this. And, and, and that's not going to generally improve healthcare across the province or across the country. And, and I, I guess personally, I'd rather be focused on what are the standards that exist across the country? Where do we have shortcomings? And then how do we help all provinces and territories reach the level that's acceptable for our Canadian healthcare system, which we, which we, we cherish, but know has some deficiencies from what we've experienced over the last few years? And, and, and looking at the, the uh, ability to get more people in the system, you know, we need an immigration policy that actually, maybe like it happened during COVID when, when the federal government really got geared up and they looked at, okay, I need healthcare professionals. I need to work with countries that have, have certifications that are the same or very close to what we have, have an expedited certification program so we can get people into the system on maybe a per capita basis, on a, on a need basis of where we see um, maybe shortcomings in delivery service. I just think there's an opportunity here to really get focused on best healthcare and then decide from that, do I need more money to do that or is that where I can focus the money I have? And uh, that's going to be a challenge okay. where we're really put into that box because we've, we've seen a limited increase here at, at this time. Okay, I, I wish I had more time, but your staff is, is telling our producer you got to go to catch your flight. So Premier Higgs, I'll leave it there. Thanks very much for your time. <laughs> You're very welcome, Bashi. Take care. And safe travels. Blaine Higgs is the Premier of New Brunswick. Coming up after a short break, we have an exclusive interview with former Conservative leadership candidate and former Quebec Premier Jean Charest. And then the Prime Minister is slated to take questions from reporters live. We'll bring that to you as it happens. Stay right there. More to come on a special edition of Power Play. Welcome back to a special edition of Power Play. We are continuing our coverage this evening of the Prime Minister's proposal to premiers on a new health care funding deal. The Prime Minister is actually slated to take questions from reporters in about 10 minutes' time. We'll take that live when it happens. In the meantime, though, I have an exclusive interview with Jean Charest. He, of course, unsuccessfully ran to be leader of the Federal Conservative Party most recently, but he was also the Premier of Quebec the last time a big health care accord was negotiated back in 2004. Hi, Mr. Charest. Good to see you. Thank you for making the time. Thank you, Vashi. You were leading the premiers in negotiations back in 2004, nearly, nearly two decades ago, if, if everyone watching and yourself and myself can believe it. Are you having a sense of deja vu watching this all unfold? Yes, I did. I mean, the, the federal method is pretty much always the same. They bring in the provinces, and it's a, a lot of it is conquer and divide, by the way. You know, they, they're looking to carve out a deal. Some provinces will already be on side, the territories. And they'll try to isolate those who are uh, objecting, and uh, and it's a pretty good media play because the, you know the feds pretty much control the media narrative in Ottawa as opposed to the rest of the country. So it is. We were well prepared ten years ago, and we had a good deal with Paul Martin. It was a ten-year deal, a six percent increase a year uh, of uh, the CHT uh, respect to the provincial jurisdictions, and the deal we did ten years ago, Vashi, by the way. It was the first time that every premier in the provinces and the Fed signed a document recognizing the principle of asymmetrical federalism. Mm -hmm. And we were very proud of that. And, uh, and Quebec, in our case, we were able to carve out a deal that did respect our jurisdictions, and we did share information. So it was, it was, a, it was a good deal 10 years ago. It worked well. 
Well, I want to pick up on that point because as I was looking back at some of the comments you made during those negotiations, at the, out, at the end of them rather, you said about that asymmetrical deal for Quebec, it's a grid that will be useful in the future. And, and if you look at the way that this is being announced today, uh, and the bilateral agreements that are a big aspect of it, that model has really now expanded to the rest of the country. Do you think uh, that's a good thing? I'm skeptical. I'll tell you why. The federal government should not try to run health care systems. The federal government does not have either expertise or knowledge on the ground of how emergency rooms work. Yeah, and, and let me just sort of, I, I guess, play devil's advocate for a second, because I certainly do understand the jurisdictional issues and the idea that uh, the federal government directing specifically the way a healthcare system runs is, is fraught with, with problems. But if they are writing a check, I'm thinking of the uh, book of Bill Morneau's I just read, you know, the idea, he really talked, cautioned against this idea of sending large chunks of money with, you know, no sort of input on uh, the outcomes that it will lead to. Uh, not to say dictatorial, but but sort of like making sure in some way that that money uh, not necessarily isn't spent on health care, but that it leads to better outcomes, because that hasn't always been the case in every province over the last 20 years. Well, let, me, let us put to bed this idea that the money is going to be spent elsewhere. I mean, for God's sakes, does anyone think, given all the money that we're putting in every jurisdiction in the province in health care, that the money goes elsewhere? I mean... Let's just put that aside because it's total rhetoric. And it, uh, now, at the end of the day, you can't rewrite the Canadian Constitution by using the federal government's spending power. What what authorizes the feds to intervene? It's their. It's not the jurisdictions. It's their money and the spending power. Hmm. Now, who is accountable on the ground? Because the reverse side of that coin, Vashi, is that if you are a citizen receiving health care services and you want to know who's accountable for the good or the bad services you're receiving, you don't put a phone call into Ottawa. You talk to the provinces. And it's extremely important to know who is accountable if you're going to get good services. Yeah, I don't read, and, and you tell me if you have a different interpretation, I don't read what they've agreed to preliminarily or what they're proposing as necessarily wanting to direct services. Uh, it sounds like that's open to what will be negotiated on a bilateral basis. And do, so, so my follow-up is then, do, do you anticipate or do you hope that that can be navigated through that process as you successfully were able to do for Quebec all those years ago? Yes, I'm hopeful it will be. I'm hopeful that, you know, everyone will be reasoned and, and, and that we'll distinguish between the rhetoric of being able to say, you know, I told those big bad provinces that they had this or that. We know, you know, we've seen this movie before. I'm hopeful they will be, you know, because in the at the end of the day, common sense will, will prevail and they'll want to cooperate. I'll give you an example. I mean, in this, you know, proposed agreement, I'm hearing that they want to deal with wages. Federal governments should stay away from the wages story. And uh, they're not going to be able to do anything else but enhance or or inflame a situation on wages that's already very difficult to manage in the provinces. And so we'll see. I can tell you one thing. In Quebec, given the history, given the precedent, given the one we established, my government established in 2004, the feds are not going to be intervening in our health care system. The other thing I don't see in this is the ability to deal. The, the, the Health Act is again held up early on as being sacrosanct, untouchable. Well, you know what? I think at this point, Canadians are open to looking how we can have the private sector play a role within a public system, Vashi, please. You know, for all those thinking, oh, my God, we're going to have to. No, 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 no. We have a public system in which the private sector already plays a role. We could do more. We can be innovative. 
Do, do you think that's true? Only because I, I've listened over the past number of weeks to a number of premiers talk about exactly what you proposed during the leadership campaign. Yes. Right? Using using taxpayer money, the, the single payer to, to fund delivery to uh, in private clinics to clear surgical backlogs. And instead of the reaction that we might have seen from the federal government in the past, uh, Justin Trudeau calls it innovation when Doug Ford proposes it now. So isn't there, a, um, doesn't that signal to you a, less of a kind of politically polarizing hill to die on when it comes to this issue? I think, I think it's possible. I'm just worried about this. We're going to have a federal election campaign probably within, well, we're 2023, two years, let's say two years. And the, the federal levels are going to want to do what they always have done on health care and demonize anyone who thinks that we should be looking at a stronger role for the private sector. I'm just, I'm being very frank with you. I think we have to be careful of that, not to, not to create a, a narrative now that it will become an obstacle to us doing the right thing and looking how we can do things differently. By the way, what, did, what was I talking about in the leadership race? We could very well have clinics that do hip and knee operations, and they're private, and they charge to the government. You as a citizen don't pay. And what you do is you take people out of the hospital system who would be occupying beds for hip and knee operations, and, and instead you're able to treat people who have more serious or, or, or ailments that require longer-term care. Those are the kind of, that's the kind of thinking that we have to start encouraging in this country if we're going to have better outcomes. In delivering uh, health care services. Yeah, and my point is that it doesn't seem, while the position, the posture of the, of the Liberals in the past may have been exactly as you describe it, it hasn't been since Doug Ford or Tim Houston started talking about it in the past few weeks. There are others raising concerns, for example, the leader of the NDP, about taking staff from the public system and moving it into those uh, private delivery clinics because there is a staff shortage in so many provinces. Yeah. And I think that's a fair fair question to raise. Uh, but but so far, it's not like anybody has shut it down at the federal level and said, well, we're not going to give you money if you expand the role of those clinics, which uh, I would imagine is a bit of a positive sign from your vantage point. Well, so let's give them the benefit of the doubt. We'll see how we'll go. I'm I, I'm skeptical, but we'll, we'll give them the benefit of the doubt. Understood. Okay, I'm out of time. I, I really appreciate your time, Mr. Shray. Really quickly, I wouldn't be doing my job as a journalist. I haven't spoken to you since the leadership race. How have you been? Well, I miss you, too. <laughs> I'm sure. Okay, Mr. Shere, thanks very much. Appreciate your time. Thank you. Bye-bye. Former federal conservative leadership candidate Jean Charest and former Quebec premier, of course, when the last health accord was negotiated back in 2004 there. A lot more to come tonight on Power Play. The prime minister, any minute, slated to take questions live from reporters. There is the room. They're getting set up. We'll take you to that event as soon as it happens. Back in a moment. Just a quick break here. Stay right there. Welcome back to a special edition of Power Play. We're standing by to take you live to the Prime Minister, who is scheduled to take questions any minute now from reporters on in that room, as you can see there, uh, on the proposal that he tabled this afternoon to premiers, a proposal that has been classified or characterized by those premiers as a little bit disappointing. Here's why. I'm going to lay out for you what exactly the proposal offers them. It does include an increase to what's known as the Canada Health Transfer, a guarantee for that increase to be about 5%. It also includes an immediate kind of handing over of $2 billion of cash that will go to things 
like pediatric and emergency care, which I know is important to many Canadians and comes without any conditions. Uh, overall, the big total of money is $196 billion over 10 years. But really, when you break down those numbers, what's important to note is that it's about $46.2 billion in new funding in that bracket there that you can see at the bottom of the screen. Included in that $46 billion, $25 billion for bilateral deals with the provinces that are still to be negotiated province by province by province. And then about $17.3 billion that accounts for that 5% number of the increase to the Canada health transfer. Here's why this is a politically sort of significant amount of money or uh, politically divisive, I could even say. If you look at how the money breaks down each year, you're looking at anywhere from $5.1 billion to $2.9 billion a year in extra money for the provinces. We'll contrast that with what they had asked for, which was about $28 billion collectively in new money each year. So there, there is a wide gap. Uh, we've heard of, of you know, variants of, of reaction, a variety of reaction from the premiers. Manitoba's premier, Heather Stephenson, says, well, she thinks that she can take it back to people in Manitoba. The premiers can get together and go back and try to negotiate something else with the federal government. But we also just spoke to New Brunswick's premier, Blaine Higgs, who seemed pretty clear that he did not anticipate the federal government was open to negotiation on the dollar sum of money. Uh, and in fact, would, uh, would likely just the provinces would have to work within what was tabled today by the prime minister and that maybe there was some latitude within the bilateral deals, but certainly not where the sum of money is concerned. So we'll stand by to see if, for example, the Prime Minister is willing to spend more money or, or accept any kind of counter offer from the Premiers when he takes questions any moment now, as I said, at a hospital here in Ottawa. At, at the same time, there's another really politically significant story happening across the border, south of the border, and I want to get to that right now. That is the State of the Union. It's going to happen at 9 o'clock Eastern from... Uh, U.S. President Joe Biden, my colleague Richard Madden, is live for us, I believe, right now in D.C. Hi, Richard. Hi, great to see you. Yeah, great to see you, too. Look, how big of a deal for Joe Biden politically is tonight's State of the Union address? Yeah, you can consider this a dress rehearsal or a soft launch, so to speak, of his potential 2024 campaign as we head into the next federal election cycle, which seems closer than you think. This is Joe Biden's way to really frame his messaging and try to convince the American people that he deserves a second term. And he faces a whole lot of challenges here as he enters the campaign phase or that pivot into campaign mode uh, as we look into the next presidential cycle. Uh, you, you know, He's got a lot of wins here. Unemployment is at a historic low. Uh, he's passed significant bipartisan legislation through Congress. Uh, and he, the inflation seems to be in check. The COVID emergency seems to have dissipated somewhat. But that there seems to be a bit of a disconnect because recent polls show that the American public really doesn't feel that their economy and their country is moving in the right direction. As a matter of fact, the bulk of Democrats, his base, are really looking to find another uh, Democratic leader to pass the torch onto. So he's facing a whole lot of political headwinds as we enter this next uh, political cycle. But at the same time, he's facing a divided Congress. For the first time in his presidency, he won't have his good friend and fellow Democrat Nancy Pelosi behind him, introducing him and clapping during the speech. We've got a divided Congress now. Republican uh, majority leader in the House, Kevin McCarthy, is going to introduce him, uh, and he's going to face some political opposition from the Republicans. So th there's a lot to look at here uh, and how President Biden's going to frame his agenda as we move forward to the next presidential cycle. So there's a lot riding here today beyond that pomp and circumstance that we see at these traditional annual State of the Union addresses.
I just have about a minute left, Richard, but you hit on something that I think is worth kind of digging into, and that is those polls around where Democrats sit on Biden. Even though he has those policy wins, as you mentioned, the economy is relatively in check compared to where it was even a year ago. 58% is what that poll from the Washington Post and ABC News said of Democrats and Democratic-leaning independents prefer another nominee. What does Joe Biden have to do tonight to address them? Yeah, I think Biden needs to present himself and, and really recycle his message in the 2020 election, presenting this unity agenda that he's going to continue tonight, but really show that he's the only guy who can unite independents, uh, soft Republicans, working class white voters in that northern states, Michigan, Wisconsin, and so forth, uh, and really attract that coalition that helped him win 2020. He, he's going to say he's the only person who can do it. Now, publicly, no Democrat is publicly saying they're going to challenge Biden or they want to be the leader of the Democratic Party. But several governors, I'm thinking uh, California's Governor Gavin Newsom, Illinois' Governor Jay Pritzker is also sort of testing the waters behind the scenes as we're also hearing some speculation that Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg is also looking at a potential run. So there's a lot of Democrats in the background who are kind of looking to see whether or not Biden does indeed uh, announce his candidacy for 2024, as we are expecting he will. But if there are signals that he's not going to do it because the polling has suggested that Democrats, he's just not feeling the love from his own party, then perhaps we're on to a second phase. But ultimately, Vashi, the time, the clock is ticking. If there is going to be another leader of the Democratic Party, they better do it fairly soon uh, as this political cycle, this campaign cycle really starts kicking into high gear uh, in, the, in the coming months. So there's a lot riding on Joe Biden to really present his message to the American people, but also his own Democratic base that he's the guy who can lead the party into 2024. Yes, that, that certainly is uh, great analysis. Thanks, Richard. CTV's Richard Madden. Looking forward to your coverage tonight. The State of the Union happens at about 9 o'clock Eastern, right now, we continue to stand by for the Prime Minister's live remarks addressing the health care deal he tabled to the Premiers just this afternoon. That's slated to happen any minute. We will carry it live as soon as it does. We're back in just a moment here on Power Play. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to our special coverage here on Power Play of the big meeting that finally happened. Highly anticipated, a long-awaited meeting between the premiers and the prime minister. It happened just this afternoon, and it involved the prime minister tabling uh, a proposal for health care funding that would involve a, a host of new numbers. That podium that you're looking at right now on your screen, the prime minister will be there, we're told, within five minutes to address questions about the substance of that proposal. Let me remind you of what is in it. Starting off with the big top line number, nearly $200 billion in money. It's on the bottom line, I should say, of this uh, particular graphic. But it's nearly $200 billion of funding from the federal government to provinces for health care. Uh, it's a lot of money, but you have to kind of dig into the numbers to realize that it's not all new. In fact, about $46.2 billion of that big pile of money is new funding. 25 of the $46 billion goes towards bilateral deals that are still to be negotiated between all the provinces and the federal government. And then here's the big part, the $17.3 billion for an increase to the CHT. The Canada Health Transfer has been the main point of consternation between the premiers and the federal government for well over two years. Starting in the pandemic, premiers have been pleading with the federal government to raise the, the amount of that money, how much of it goes rather, to two provinces. They've 
called for it month after month. And the amount of money they were asking for collectively was about $28 billion a year. What they're getting, what the prime minister is proposing is on that screen right ahead of you. $4.9 billion next year, uh, as low as $2.9 billion in 2024, and then raising up again to $5.1 billion in 2027. So anywhere from $2.9 to $5.1 billion, very clearly that is not a total of $28 billion. Collectively, they responded tonight by saying that the sum of money put on the table by the prime minister was, quote, a little disappointing, fiscally limiting and fiscally uh, and showed fiscal uh, restraint. Uh, they were not pleased. The premiers, and I have a sampling of how they reacted. Let's start off with uh, Quebec's premier, Francois Legault. Our request were to add 28 billion to the base, 28 billion a year to the 45 billion that is given every year now by the federal government, and then index, have an escalator clause at 5%. We got the second part. We'll have the 5% of increase, but we didn't get the good part of the 28 billion uh, that we were asking for in the basis. So Premier Legault spelling out exactly what the provinces had asked for, a bigger sum of money to start with, and then an increase that goes above and beyond what the federal government already has arranged with the provinces. They got the second part. They got the bigger increase, but the base amount that they start with is substantially less than they were hoping for. Uh, Ontario's Premier Doug Ford, sources around him tell me he wasn't actually that surprised by what the federal government had tabled today, that they had telegraphed. It would be something to that effect. Here's how he responded publicly. I'll never uh, refuse new funding. So let, let's see, uh, once we all absorb it, we go back, back home and and uh, we'll have questions. And, and the, the Prime Minister is very open. They're there to answer the questions. And we're going to have a lot of questions uh, moving forward. So Ontario's Premier Doug Ford brings up kind of the question of where things go from here. And what we heard from the premiers altogether was that they plan to bring this deal back to their provinces and meet all together again within a few days to figure out how they will counter to this proposal from the prime minister. What is a little bit more nebulous or, or less clear is exactly what they will counter with and how united they will be in any kind of counter proposal. I say that because on the one hand, you have people like Doug Ford or Manitoba's Premier Heather Stephenson saying they're gonna examine it and perhaps uh, table something different. On the other hand, you have New Brunswick's Premier Blaine Higgs saying he's pretty sure that there's no extra money coming from the federal government and this is kind of a take it or leave it proposal. Uh, my understanding is that the prime minister has now arrived on site where he will take questions uh, from reporters. I think, yeah, there we go. We're going to listen in live. Hello, everyone. Let's head over there. It's great to be here today at the University of Ottawa Medical School. I was speaking earlier with some future health professionals. This afternoon, I worked with all 13 of Canada's premiers to tackle one of the most important issues facing Canadians, strengthening publicly funded universal health care across this country. For generations, public health care has been a core part of what it means to be Canadian. It's built on a promise that no matter where you live or what you earn, you will always be able to get the medical care you need. But right now, our health care system isn't living up to that promise. Les délais d'attente aux urgences sont Wait times in emergency models. rooms have become dangerously long. 
Our hospitals and clinics are reducing their hours of operation due to a shortage of workers. Millions of Canadians do not have a family doctor or nurse practitioner. They must figure things out themselves through the health care system. And we're seeing a growing need for mental health care, especially amongst young people. Canadians deserve better. Our country is a world leader in healthcare research. In Canada, open heart surgeries were the first country to begin these surgeries. We have made discoveries regularly in the fight against cancer. Healthcare is world class caliber, but we need a system that works properly so that everyone has access to that care reminded each and every one of us just how important our health is. It also put enormous pressure on our healthcare systems and on our healthcare workers. And it made us take a hard look at the long-standing issues facing our healthcare. As leaders, we've come together to deliver tangible actions and outcomes today while building a more modern system to ensure results for all Canadians for the future. The provincial and territorial governments deliver health care with support from federal funding, which ensures that our collective commitment to the Canada Health Act is upheld. In fact, it's written right into the Canada Health Act that, as governments, we need to protect, promote, and restore the physical and mental well-being of residents of Canada and facilitate reasonable access to health services without financial or other barriers. To help ensure that, we're announcing that the federal government will be providing $198 billion in additional federal health funding over the next decade. This includes planned increases to the Canada Health Transfer and new funding of $48 billion over the next 10 years. Obviously, this is a major federal investment in health care. We all know that money alone is not the answer. Each province and territory is facing different challenges. That's why we're focused on negotiating 13 distinct bilateral agreements that will respond to various situations across the country. This will make sure that real improvements are made and accounted for, particularly in four priority areas. Primary care, health care workers, mental health, and health information and data. First, primary care. Making sure Canadians have access to family doctors and nurse practitioners. It's about having someone you trust, who knows you, your kids, your parents, your grandparents, and who will make sure that everyone gets the right care and finds the right specialists. A family health team is there to be your entry point into the healthcare system, so it doesn't have to be the emergency room. La deuxième priorité est d'aider les personnes au cœur même de notre système de santé pour réduire les coûts infirmières, les infirmières, les infirmières, et tout le personnel de la santé clerks, ont tout donné pour les Canadiens pendant ces dernières années. Et aujourd'hui, ils vivent encore 
Beaucoup they de were affected by the pandemic and they are still under a lot of pressure today. When they don't have what they need to do their jobs, everyone suffers, including patients waiting for appointments or operations on increasingly longer waiting lists. We need a public health system that is robust and that contains the resources required to sustain this difficult work. A system where workers have support so that they can stay on the job and not become exhausted. We all learned very well that the working conditions dictate the conditions of care that Canadians receive. Third, we need to make sure that Canadians can get the mental health care they need. One in three Canadians are struggling. The good news is that more and more people are bravely putting their hands up and asking for help. But we need a system that can respond and help people when and where they need it. And that includes helping those living with substance use and addictions challenges. La quatrième priorité, the fourth priority is information. It means putting in place a healthcare system that is firmly in the 21st century, connected, and where we all have electronic access to our medical records. This is a system where information can be communicated to our healthcare providers, whether a pharmacist or specialist. This is so that we can receive appropriate quality care. Each of the 13 bilateral agreements will be focused on delivering results for Canadians. To make sure that you're getting your hip replacement faster so you can have your quality of life back sooner. To ensure that if you need to take your child to the emergency room, you will be seen quickly. To ensure that if a family member who is a senior contracts a treatable disease, the family doctor will be able to see them before the illness becomes more serious. will be tailored and flexible to the needs of each province and territory. But one thing will be consistent. Each will need to provide transparent information so that your healthcare system is accountable and you can be sure that real improvements are being made. What gets measured gets done. No matter your income or where you live, you deserve access to the best possible care from coast to coast to coast, whether you live somewhere remote, rural or urban. Indigenous peoples have their own unique health needs. They continue to face gaps in care at all levels, which are especially felt by those who require wraparound services. Every Indigenous person deserves equal quality and equal access to health care, free from racism and discrimination. So as part of the bilateral agreements, we will work with Indigenous leadership to address these issues and make sure there are measurable results. And we are providing $2 billion over 10 years to an Indigenous Health Equity Fund to support First Nation, Inuit and Métis partners in closing health care gaps. Health care has always been a priority for our government. Since 2015, we've made major historic investments to support Indigenous health. In 2017, we signed health accords with all provinces and territories to improve mental health and addictions care, as well as home and community care for all Canadians. Pendant la pandémie, 
During the pandemic, we invested billions of dollars to ensure that our system could weather this public health crisis. This was by providing free tests and vaccines, for example. We all witnessed the tragedies in our long-term care homes. This government acted by providing significant funding and pushing for national standards to protect our seniors. Last year, we launched the Canadian Dental Care Program. That sends money directly to the families who need it so that about 200,000 children under the age of 12 can receive dental care. We are also moving forward so that seniors, those under 18, and people with disabilities can receive support for dental care as well by the end of this year. Our government believes that taking care of Canadians is a fundamental responsibility. In this regard, I'd like to take a moment to thank our health care workers for their heroic dedication. Thank you. These last few years have not been easy, but you continue to be there, to work overtime, to take care of us and the people we love. Our government wants to alleviate some of the pressure on healthcare personnel in all provinces and territories by providing facilitation for mobility across the country. Well-trained healthcare professionals can work wherever there is need, and to improve how we recognize foreign credentials, so that skilled people who come to Canada can more easily contribute and reduce pressure on overworked staff. Personal support workers take close care of people and deserve to be fairly paid. That's why today we're investing 1.7 billion dollars towards the goal of 25 dollars an hour for their important work. But most importantly, in order to support Canadian healthcare workers, we're taking steps to keep our public system strong. This is a big country built on big, progressive ideas. And few are more central to who we are as Canadians than the promise of universal, publicly funded healthcare. We all pay our fair share knowing that, unlike a lot of places, we don't have to make the choice between paying the mortgage or getting a much-needed surgery. And we like to know that our neighbour doesn't have to make that choice either, no matter their circumstances. So when it comes to health care, we need to make sure to look out for everyone and leave out no one. We're taking action today so Canadians can continue to have trust in our public system. We know that cuts and austerity won't make us stronger and won't help Canadians thrive. We're investing in the well-being of Canadians and in a strong social safety net, not only because it's the right thing to do, but because it's the smart thing to do. Canadians deserve to know that every new dollar being announced today is exactly that, a new dollar that will go towards the improvements in healthcare that Canadians need. Because when people are healthy, when people don't have to go into unnecessary debt, when people can get timely access to health care before complications arise, all of it makes our economy stronger. On vient de passer des années difficiles. We've just gone through some difficult years. People are worried. 
need to be able to count on the healthcare system that has made them so proud to be Canadians. And it's one of the reasons that so many people were encouraged to choose Canada. Now is the time to step up, to meet this moment, to do what it takes to reinforce the defining Canadian institution that is universal public healthcare. I have high expectations, but also reasonable expectations that in the coming weeks, not months, we will conclude bilateral agreements, begin flowing more money, and Canadians will start seeing real results. Let's get this done. Let's give Canadians the health care that they expect and that they deserve. Merci. I'm now very happy to turn it over to our Deputy Prime Minister, Christian. I need a bit of a step there. Um, merci, Monsieur le Premier Ministre. Thank you, Prime Minister. Durant la pandémie, huit dollars sur dix dépensés pour pandemic, soutenir les Canadiens et les entreprises canadiennes came from the federal government. In the midst of a crisis that happens once in a century, it's what needed to be done. This approach allowed Canadians to stay safe and solve it. It allowed Canadian businesses to stay afloat, and it allowed the provinces and territories to avoid having their health care systems be completely overwhelmed. As noted, a study published by the Canadian Medical Association last year stated that if Canada had had the mortality rate related to COVID, that the U.S. had more than uh, 70,000 other Canadians would have died. Our spending also set the foundation for the incredible economic recovery that Canada experienced after the pandemic. It is expected that Canada will be seeing the strongest economic growth among the G7 countries in the second quarter of this year. Our unemployment rate has reached almost record lows. In December, the participation rate in the employment market was a record rate of 45% of people who are in their most productive years professionally. This is thanks to our daycare programs. Given this unprecedented economic recovery that was seen in Canada after the recession following the pandemic, and Canada emergency benefits also made this possible, Canada health transfers will automatically be adjusted to the GDP by 9.3% this year and more than 5% next year. This amount is in addition to the nearly $25 billion in annual transfers of federal taxes 
This is what we were already transferring to the provinces and territories. Since we were elected the first time, our government also granted billions of dollars in new support for long-term care. The goal was to reduce delays and ensure that Canadians receive mental health services and home care services that they deserve. Delivers on the commitment we made to Canadians to strengthen publicly funded universal health care in our country. All told, it will deliver $198.6 billion in additional federal funding for health care over the next 10 years. $196.1 billion of which is to provinces and territories. Our plan includes $48 billion in new funding that we are announcing today, which is comprised of five different funding streams. First, an immediate, unconditional Canada Health Transfer top-up of $2 billion to address the real, urgent pressures in our emergency rooms, operating rooms and pediatric hospitals. And this is in addition to the $6.5 billion in Canada Health Transfer top-ups that the federal government provided during the pandemic. Second, we will provide annual top-up payments to ensure provinces and territories who commit to improving health information see Canada Health Transfer increases of at least 5% per year for the next five years. At the end of those five years, the amount of the final top-up would become a permanent funding increase added to the CHT. Third, we will provide $25 billion over 10 years through a set of new bilateral agreements to ensure that every province and territory can address their unique health system needs. These investments will build on the $14 billion that we have previously committed to providing provinces and territories to improve mental health care, home and community care, and long-term care. Fourth, as we committed to do in the last election, we will provide $1.7 billion over the next five years to support wage increases for personal support workers. And fifth, we will provide $2 billion over 10 years to an Indigenous Health Equity Fund to be distributed on a distinctions basis with First Nations, Inuit and Métis to address the unique challenges Indigenous peoples face when it comes to fair and equitable access to health services. It is our clear expectation that the funding we are announcing today will not be used in place of planned provincial or territorial health care spending. This funding from the federal government is additional, incremental money to improve the health care Canadians receive. That is what we expect it will be used to do, and that is what Canadians quite rightly expect as well. 
Il s'agit d'un investissement majeur dans les soins de santé. This plan means that we will continue to be there for healthcare workers, for the healthcare workers who are there for us. This plan means that regardless of one's income, where you were born in Canada, or your origin, you will need, you will get the care that you need. It matters to our children, and it matters to our parents. And for millions of Canadians, a universal, publicly funded health care system is central to what it means to be Canadian. We also know that a strong and effective health care system is an essential foundation of our country's economic success. The latest proof of that came just this week from the Ontario Chamber of Commerce, with 46% of the Chamber's members saying their business confidence was being shaken by concerns about the health care system. Getting this right matters to Canadians, and it matters to our economy as well. So this is a necessary investment. It is also a significant investment. It comes on top of the significant and necessary investments the federal government made to support Canadians and the Canadian economy during the pandemic. And it comes at a moment when Canada also faces a once-in-a-generation imperative to invest in the clean economy of the 21st century, to ensure that Canada seizes this opportunity rather than being left behind. These two great imperatives, to invest in healthcare and to invest in the clean economy, come at a time of great uncertainty in the global economy. They come at a time of real fiscal constraint. Canada can afford to make essential investments in times of crisis and in times of opportunity because of our AAA credit rating and because of our country's proud tradition of sound fiscal management. As we make difficult choices in the weeks and months to come, we will be mindful of that tradition and we will continue to be guided by it. Thank you very much. And now it is my very great pleasure to turn the floor over to my colleague, our Minister of Health, Jean-Yves Duclos. Jean-Yves, à vous la parole. Bonsoir tout le monde. Good evening, everyone. Comme le Premier ministre l'a mentionné, notre système de santé et nos travailleurs de la santé sont soumis à d'énormes pressions et le vivent à tous les jours. Cette situation 
in particular in rural and remote areas. We also must support our healthcare workers and reduce wait times for surgeries, including for children, improve access to mental health and addiction services, and to modernize our healthcare system. On this fourth priority, let me clarify why we want to work together to modernize our health system. And that's because data saves lives. Better access to health information is essential for health workers to be able to provide safe and high-quality health care. <laughs> Think about this for a few seconds. Imagine an emergency department, nurse or doctor, not being able to see what medication a patient takes, not being able to see or to access the results of previous tests a patient has undergone, or not being able to access the medical history of a patient. That's why we will invest in better data to support better health care and to support workers in the care they need to provide. In addition, helping Canadians age with dignity closer to home with access to home care or safe long-term care continues to be an area of common priority. Collaborative work is already underway with provinces and territories to help them support access to home care and long-term care through a joint investment of $6 billion over five years. Investing in these five areas of common priorities will help repair the damage caused by COVID-19 and prepare for the future. This being said, the province and territories each have their own unique circumstances. As such, they will have the flexibility to tailor their bilateral agreements to meet the unique needs of their populations and geography. Each bilateral agreement will need to reinforce common core principles. First, as per our shared responsibility under the Canada Health Act, governments must ensure that medically necessary services are provided based on need, not on the ability to pay. Governments must also ensure equitable access to health care services and that such access is supported by a strong public health care sector. Second, agreements will reflect our joint commitment to health equity and reconciliation with Indigenous peoples. We will work together to ensure Indigenous peoples across this country are able to access quality and culturally safe health services. Finally, we will also support better access for, under, for other underserved and equity-deserving groups, including Canadians living in rural and remote areas and those living in official language minority communities. These commitments are important in order to take care of Canadians and their health. These commitments require solid collaboration among levels of government. We are eager to support these commitments even further through major investments that we are announcing today by the Prime Minister. Thank you. We'll take 20 minutes of questions. So what was offered today was essentially repackages the new spending over five years that you had promised in the 2021 election, specifically on health care, uh, but had not yet budgeted. Can you explain to Canadians why you believe that's enough, uh, given that the crisis in health care has significantly worsened over the last year and a half? $198 
billion dollars in additional funding for health care over the next 10 years. $48 billion of that brand new money that we know is going to be needed in health care in the coming years to make sure people have access to a primary care doctor, to support our health care workers, to make sure we're getting timely and proper mental health care, and to ground the system in a modern way in data and information and make sure patients get the best possible care and see that right across the country. But we know despite this historic investment, it's not just about money. It's about making sure we're delivering real results for Canadians. That's exactly uh, what we're focused on doing. I'm really pleased we were able to sit down with the Premiers today. And I look forward to the conversations we're going to have over the coming days and weeks to make sure that Canadians feel these improvements in a tangible way as soon as possible. I'm asking specifically about new funding and in the period of five years, which was what tracked your election promise. Are you saying that this does go beyond your election promise from 2021? We know that Canadians uh, faced a, an extraordinarily difficult time during the pandemic. It demonstrated that our health healthcare systems have gaps right across the country, even as extraordinary heroes stepped up in the front lines of our healthcare system to keep Canadians safe through such a difficult time. We saw that we need to do more to support them, to support the systems that keep Canadians safe. That's why this investment of uh, $48 billion of new money for a total of $198 billion of additional funding over the next 10 years is something that's going to set our system for the better. We know there are immediate and short-term pressures on our healthcare systems, and that's where we're stepping up with immediate $2 billion worth of injection into our healthcare system. But we also know, we heard clearly from premiers, that a five-year timeline simply isn't enough. They need to know that the federal government is going to be a solid partner for them as they hire more doctors and nurses, as they build new facilities, as they modernize their technologies. These are the kinds of things that provinces need to know. And that's why this announcement today that the federal government will be there in a big way to ensure better results for all Canadians over the coming years is so important. Next question. Judy Trin with CTV News. I want to focus in on your $48 billion of new funding. That's an announcement that will be made. Uh, it's over 10 years, which amounts to $4.8 billion of new funding each year. It, there seems to be a huge disconnect between that offer and what the premiers wanted, which was $28 billion new funding each year. Can you explain that disconnect and why you feel that your offer, what you are uh, presenting today, is enough to sustain the health system? Well, as you say, this is a significant injection of money into the healthcare system at a time where it's needed. We recognize that there is a need for money right now, and that's what the $2 billion uh, that we're uh, going to be sending to the provinces to help with pediatric care, uh, emergency room challenges, backlogs and surgeries is going to make a real difference. But on top of that, that $48 billion uh, of new money over the next 10 years on top of or as part of the total of $198 billion in additional funds 
that we'll be sending to the provinces over the next 10 years is a huge amount of money. But we know that it's not just about money needed to improve our healthcare systems. We need better outcomes. We need better support for our frontline workers. We need better infrastructure. We need better data. We need better access to medical, to, uh, to mental health care. We need flexibility uh, on uh, delivering services, some online, some in person, that we've learned through the pandemic. There is a need uh, to really make sure that Canadians are feeling and seeing the improvements in our healthcare system. So on top of the money, that's what we're focused on as well. Given that there is a huge discrepancy between what is being offered today and what the premiers had initially wanted, is this your final offer? In an interview with CTV, uh, Premier Blaine Higgs said that he was told this is take it or leave it. We want to get to work negotiating flexible bilateral deals with the provinces that are going to deliver more family doctors deliver better and faster mental health care, particularly for young people, deliver on more support for our frontline workers, and deliver better health information and data that's going to ensure people get the best quality of care. This is significant amounts of money on the table. We know the premiers have said they need this money to be able to ensure a strong health care system going forward. I very much look forward to rolling up my sleeves and negotiating with them right away on delivering this money as quickly as possible to help healthcare systems across the country. So we don't misquote you. It is your final offer. Prochaine question. Bonjour, Marc Chabot, Johnson, Radio Canada. La même question, en fait. Est-ce que c'est le final ou est-ce que vous avez en, encore question. de la marge de manœuvre pour en donner plus? The final number? Do you have some flexibility for negotiating with provinces? The flexibility is in the bilateral agreements. We've looked at the fiscal framework. We've looked at the needs of the provinces. Currently, a number of provinces are in a situation where they have a budget surplus. But despite that, we've injected $2 billion immediately to help with surgeries surgeries that were postponed during uh, issues with children's hospitals, for example. But we know that what the premiers really needed was reassurance over a longer period of time. So for the next 10 years, the federal government will be there as a partner to invest in the things that are truly important to Canadians. I know that when we talk about health care investments, there's always a discussion of how much is invested, a billion here, a hundred million there. But what's important for citizens, families, seniors, is whether or not they will have access to a family doctor, whether or not they'll be able to go to the emergency room and be seen in less than an hour, if whether or not they will get urgent care for a mental health issue in crisis. That's not just a matter of dollars. It's a question of working smartly in partnership to deliver those services. So, yes, 
We are making an offer, and that's the offer we've made, and it's within our fiscal framework because we must be responsible. But we are providing that to be able to make true change and true improvements in our health system across the country. So are we to understand there will be no more money for the provinces then? Several premiers said that they did come out ahead in terms of conditions because there are no conditions. Are they right about that? And if that's true, how would you ensure that the promises you've made to Canadians will be delivered? The agreements with the premiers will be seen in the results for Canadians. Transparency will be seen in direct accountability to Canadians. We know that more Canadians will have access to family doctors, and that's something that the provinces know very well. That's something that we will ensure to deliver in partnership with the provinces through the bilateral agreements. We know that people need more and better health mental health services. These agreements will ensure that we will continue to deliver those. Everything that we're doing is rooted in concrete results for Canadians. Hi, Tessie Sanchi, Hill Times Research. I want to ask about mental health funding. It's basically lumped in with three other priorities under bilateral agreements that are still to be negotiated. There is no defined funding. Um, considering you say you have a focus on mental health, considering you promised a permanent mental health transfer in 2021, why this approach and is the mental health transfer still in the works? Uh, five years ago, in 2017, uh, we signed uh, historic deals with the provinces, including uh, investments in mental health over the coming 10 years. One of the things that we heard from stakeholders, from community members, from uh, people having trouble accessing mental health care uh, across the country, was there needed to be more clarity around outcomes. There needed to be more transparency, more data collected around uh, what services were being offered. So as we move forward with uh, historic investments now with the provinces, we're also ensuring that there is a clarity and a transparency, including around mental health, which is one of the four pillars uh, around which these bilateral deals will be created with the provinces. But on mental health, I'm not the best person to speak to it because we have an extraordinary expert with us here today. I'd love to invite uh, Carolyn Bennett, our Minister of Mental Health and Addictions, uh, to say a few words about how much mental health and our approach on mental health uh, matters to Canadians. Thank you, Prime Minister. I think it's been for 20, 30 years that I've been fighting for transformation in health and health care. So we actually need to build a system around everybody having a family doctor, which allows people to, and, and what this, the, these priorities are articulating is that if everyone has a, a, a attachment to a family health team with additional mental health and, and supports, that that is their, that is their way of, 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 of approaching the whole of the health system. And that is built into what, how we see 
the dollars for primary care and primary care reform. In the support for health workers, we know that mental health has to be part of health care workers' support such that they don't burn out and such that they've got the supports to, to be able to stay in their jobs. When it comes to mental health and substance use, we are going to make sure that, that we are measuring the kinds of wait times to, to, to community-based services and substance use services, but also be able to use the cattle health survey to say what are the unmet needs in mental health across the country. And then in terms of the data, as the Prime Minister said, we need that transparency and accountability and the ability to be able to share information in a secure and, and confidential way. We need to be able to know what we're doing and to be able to leave no one behind. I'm very excited about this approach, which integrates mental health into everything we do, as the Prime Minister said, as says in the second paragraph of the Canada Health Act. That's what we have to be able to do, to get mental health back in to our publicly funded system and for us to leave no one behind and be able to make sure um, that mental health is health. Next question. Hi, Prime Minister Terea Esri, uh, Global News. Just to be absolutely clear on your answer, I'm going to repeat my colleague's question. Is this your final offer to the provinces? Is there wiggle room? There are negotiations about to start with the provinces on how uh, they want to make sure that they're hitting those four priority areas we're facing. We put forward the fiscal frame uh, that the federal government has and the investments uh, that we're putting on the table for provinces to do. Now, provinces have the flexibility of uh, putting more money into primary health care, to putting uh, more money uh, of this into mental health, or more support for workers, or uh, doing a lot more on data. But they have the flexibility to meet uh, within uh, this envelope uh, their priorities so that Canadians all across the country get the best care. This is uh, the offer we put forward on the table. This is the billions of dollars that are there for provinces, and we certainly look forward to working with them to be able to deliver not just that money, but those health care improvements to citizens across the country. The premiers have expressed disappointment, though. So how realistic is it that money will start flowing in the next budget, given their dissatisfaction? Uh, I know for a fact uh, then a number of the premiers are looking at these billions of dollars that we're uh, willing uh, to put on the table to invest in improvements in healthcare systems, uh, and uh, we'll be moving quickly on this. Uh, Canadians know that we do best as a country when different orders of government roll up our sleeves and work together to deliver the right results for Canadians. Canadians need access to family doctors. Canadians need better and quicker mental health services, particularly for young people or people struggling with uh, addictions and substance abuse issues. People need uh, to have, see support for our frontline health workers who've been such heroes through the past difficult years. And people need to know, know that we need to have a system, a modern system, grounded in science, in data, in information, that makes sure people get the best possible care exactly as they need it. There are billions of dollars that we're putting forward in new money for the provinces. We're just looking forward to working with them and delivering it. 
Next question. Hi, Prime Minister Rafi Bujikani on CBC News. You're talking about governments working together. Doug Ford called this a down payment. It doesn't sound like you're on the same page at all. Is there any further room for negotiations of amounts and terms in this deal? $198 billion in additional funds over the next 10 years. This is a massive investment in not just the present of healthcare, but the future of healthcare in this country. And it's something that is going to make a real difference. We know there are going to be increasing pressures in our healthcare system, but we also know that grounding it in access to primary care, proper support throughout the system for mental health care, proper support for our frontline workers, for health professionals who've been working too hard, and all of it grounded in facts and data and information that ensures the best possible system, that's how to build a stronger healthcare system, not just for today, but for tomorrow. That's what we're excited about. And you didn't raise the issue of private delivery in this meeting, again, according to Premier Ford. Are you not concerned about this? Why didn't you talk about it? Any conditions at all? Don't mean to contradict anyone, but the very first thing I brought up uh, in the meeting uh, was the fact that defending the Canada Health Act, upholding the Canada Health Act, and the principles within, is an absolute non-negotiable priority of this government. We're a government that a number of times over the past years has clawed back money from provinces who were not abiding by the, Canada, the principles of the Canada Health Act, we won't hesitate to do that again. The fact is, we are going to ensure that Canada's public universal health care system continues to deliver the best possible care to Canadians. It's going to take not just investments, it's going to take a strong framework, and that's exactly what we're sitting down to build with the provinces now. One of the first things that I emphasized in my meeting with the Premiers was the importance of respecting the Canada Health Act. Canadians understand that our universal, publicly funded system is an invaluable wealth for our country. The ability to have quality health care services that are required without worrying about having to mortgage one's house or going to debt for surgery. That is a source of pride for Canadians. We will always defend the Canada Health Act. We will always ensure that it is respected. Last question. Question. With $48 billion in additional funding over 10 years, will the provinces have the financial capacity to solve all the problems in the health care system? The federal government does not have the responsibility for delivering health services. We know that it's the jurisdiction and the expertise of the provinces. Therefore, we will sit down with them to work on the issue 
to ensure that when it comes to family medicine, mental health services, supports for healthcare workers, when it comes to information and data, we will ensure that they set appropriate targets, targets that will ensure that they can truly improve health services in a tangible way for Canadians. We know that those four elements form the basis of a functioning system. We know that the $198 billion in additional funding over the next 10 years, as you mentioned, $48 million of which is brand new, we know that those funds will go a long way to improving those services. Concerning the bilateral agreements you mentioned, Premier Legault said that the good news is there are no conditions. Mr. Trudeau was very clear with me that if we want to invest 100% of the money in one of our priorities, we can do so. And when it comes to data sharing, there is no condition of achieving uh, our certain targets, but we're just responsible to our citizens. Do you agree? Ultimately, we need a, a system that works for Canadians. Quebecers and Canadians will judge their health care system. By putting forward a system that is focused on results and data, Canadians will not be able to say $10 billion was invested here or $100 million there. What they want to be able to say is, I found a family doctor for my cousin. I was able to get help for that mental health crisis that my son is going through. We were able to find a specialist for my grandmother. Those are the results that are of concern to Canadians and the results that they want to see. What they want is to have us work together to deliver on that. Those are the agreements that we're building with the provinces. Those are agreements are anchored on tangible results for Canadians. It includes data. It includes measurable elements. And we are all accountable to citizens as politicians. And it is to the citizens to whom we owe the best possible health care system, and that's what we're working on delivering right now. Thank you. That concludes the press conference. That is Prime Minister Justin Trudeau fielding some questions, uh, a number of them actually, from reporters. He's uh, out at the University of Ottawa's medical school. You can see him shaking hands with some uh, frontline workers there. The primary question asked over and over again, uh, to which the Prime Minister didn't directly answer but said in many different ways, was around whether or not the deal proposed to the Premiers this afternoon was kind of a take-it-or-leave-it offer, whether there would be actually further negotiations with the provinces and the potential for additional dollars to be put on the table or whether this was it. And uh, essentially what the prime minister said in many words, but not directly was, my interpretation at least, is that, yes, this is the final offer um, and that there would be room for negotiation around bilateral agreements, but not about the amount of money on the table, rather what would be in those agreements, what kind of health goals each province wants to achieve, health outcomes rather, that sort of thing. He said also, uh, which is uh, newsworthy, that he expects those negotiations to take place on the bilateral agreements with provinces 
over a matter of weeks, not months, but very clearly, repeatedly asked over and over again by reporters, did he, he, he insisted that the money that was put on the table through this proposal uh, this afternoon made to the premiers was all that was coming their way. We certainly will pay attention to see how premiers react to that because a number of them this afternoon and early this evening have told us they were taking it back to their provinces, meeting together as premiers in the coming days and figuring out how they would counter this offer from the prime minister. The prime minister this evening telling reporters pretty clearly this was a, a take it or leave it deal. I'm going to wrap things up here at PowerPlay this evening. Thanks so much for tuning in to our special coverage of this healthcare funding proposal and potential deal between the Prime Minister and the Premiers. I'll turn things over now to my colleague, Morella Fernandez.